All right. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Sales Pipeline Radio. My name is Matt Hines. Very excited to have you here. Uh, we're doing this every Thursday at 1130 Pacific, 230 Eastern. We're about 350 episodes in and uh, having a lot of fun with it. Talking about sales and marketing, B2B sales and marketing. Learning a lot, but not taking ourselves too seriously. If you're watching this live on LinkedIn, uh, we're on LinkedIn and YouTube today, Alan, live. If you're watching us live on either channel, uh, we're glad you're here in the middle of your workday. Thank you very much for watching. If you are uh, participating live on LinkedIn right now, you have a chance to be part of the show. If you have a question or a comment on our topic today or for our guest today, please throw it into the LinkedIn comments. I will see that and uh, we'll either ask it for you or bring your comment or question into the show and um, make this a little more interactive. If you are watching or listening on demand, thank you so much for doing so. Uh, we have every episode of Sales Pipeline Radio past, present, and future on demand, always at salespipelineradio.com. Today, uh, featuring the uh, founder CEO of Demand Revenue, uh, former Serious Decisions and Forest analyst, Alan Gonsenhauser. Alan, thanks for joining us. Thank you, man. I'm really happy to be here. Nice to do one of these with you. Well, um, it's a pleasure to have you. Um, you know, obviously, if if you are if you are a uh, if you've been following Serious Decisions Forrester for a long time, you've probably seen Alan's name in research and in content. Um, if you are in the uh, CMO Coffee Talk group, you are you are likely used to seeing Alan uh, on um, on the uh, the eight AM Eastern call as well. And yeah, we we've talked about doing get, bringing you on to one of these for a long time. And there's there's obviously a lot of areas we could talk about. Uh, sure. A lot of areas that you have covered in your career as a CMO, as an analyst, and now as a fractional CMO. You recommended we cover customer service, customer success today, customer yeah. experience. Why, why why did that bubble up as a topic for you? Customer experience is the area I'm most passionate about. It touches everything. And as you know, Matt, I'm a big believer in creating a remarkable customer experience. And I also believe that many organizations over time have over-rotated on demand, on getting new logos, where it's a lot more productive and profitable to focus on your existing customers, mm -hmm. growing them and turning them into advocates and promoters of your brand. And I've had this conversation many times with CFOs. And I think the, the long-term um, value of companies, the valuations, profitability in the long-term is far more dependent on creating, creating and sustaining a remarkable customer experience and making your customers promoters of your brand uh, than the, the new logos that you pick up along the way. And we can yeah. talk about that in some of the metrics. But it's an area I'm really passionate about. And I'm actually working with two clients this um, this quarter on CX transformations, which is a lot of fun. Well, let's talk, let's dig into a couple different areas of that. I think too often people think about customer experience as what happens after you buy. But it certainly is impacted and founded in the prospect experience as well. Yeah. And so, you know, yeah. thankfully, I hear more companies talk less about lead management and more about prospect experience. It's a different perspective and approach and lens that I think helps. But it seems to me that prospect experience and customer experience should be one continual process. How, how should companies think about that? And then how do you operationalize something like that? Yes, it should be. And you can see maybe behind me, you see this infinite loop. Yep, yep. It starts with a prospect experience and goes into the post-sale customer experience. And the way I look at that, you know, when you're first trying to get a prospect to be a new logo, you know, it's really important that you segment your list so you're sending the right messages 
that you're understanding what the real needs are, you know, where they have pain, what are the jobs they're trying to get done, and how does your value proposition help them do it more conveniently, faster, cheaper, better? You know, um, it's also important that you don't over market to prospects. What a lot of companies make the mistake of doing is sending too many emails or a bunch of emails and just, you know, uh, that, that often results in um, higher um, rates of them turning you off because they don't want to be marketed so often. Most, you know, most people don't want to be sold. They want information when they're looking for it and they want people who will listen to what their needs are. And so that experience really starts then. And unfortunately, you know, if you don't have a good prospect experience, you don't provide the right content that matches to the, um, uh, to the buyer's journey, they may turn you off before you have a chance to even talk to them because they've had a poor experience. So they never, they may never become customers, but it, when they become customers is when everything starts. It's a really good point. I mean, there, without naming names, there are two companies in the last five years that I actively tried not to buy from because I was so turned off by the sales experience. Yes. And you, you, I think you alluded to something about over-marketing. You know, I've seen a lot of companies get so aggressive with their prospects. You know, that the, they, they may hit their number. They may get a percent of them that actually buy, but the scorched earth impact of everyone right. that didn't buy is pushing those people to someone else. And I've seen this. Right. I mean, we in, in, even in the CMO group, like, you know, you see this example where someone says, well, like, I will never buy from them. If I'm ever in market, I won't buy from them because of how they treated me. Because of how They're they push me a lot off in the process. Yeah. Or, or companies that, you know, that have a history of selling to mid-market and SMB companies that don't take the time to understand how an enterprise buyer buys. Yes. And then don't respect what is conveyed via a very different buying process. They may be entirely out of the hands of the buyer, but if you don't understand and respect it, if you're creating friction between the way a buyer needs to buy and the way you want to sell, even if they buy, boy, that is a that is, a, that is a hole that you have to dig out of from a customer experience. Standpoint. Exactly. And, you know, and where companies really need to pivot to, especially with more complex sales cycles, it's not a lead. It's not an individual lead. It's a buying group that's making a decision over time. And there are multiple touches. Yeah. So you really have to respect um, not only how people buy, but I've also heard, and you know, that there's so much information out there and really good information out there that a lot of companies are looking for an information Sherpa mm -hmm. or a brand that will help them through the buying process on a very objective basis. Yeah. And so if you start loving prospects and customers, understanding their pain points and needs, and really trying to help them through the process and be consultative in that way, you're setting yourself up for a good relationship longer term, I think. Yeah, I mean, Brent Adamson, who joined us in the coffee talk light last fall, used the phrase yeah. sense maker, right? I mean, like, it's, it's his fault that we now have all of these commercial insights because he told us all to do it in the challenger sale. But there's so much information out there that I think companies, and this isn't just an opportunity for sales to say, like, hey, let me, you know, sense make this for you, let me help you along the way. But yeah. I think marketing organizations can do the same thing. Like, what if you were to say, and I've seen companies do this, Kevin and Marasco at Zenefit showed us an example. If you understand the market well enough, like, what are the cohorts of good, better, best in terms of innovation in yeah. your space? How do you help someone see where do they fit on that continuum? And what does that imply about what the next steps are they should focus on? Like, yeah. that could be a self-help tool in a product-led growth format. 
And it's providing that same value, providing that phenomenal experience where you are teaching and building credibility with that prospect. They've not given you a dime. Exactly. And even be honest if you think you're not the right vendor for them. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Be honest, be open, transparent, be a person, be real. And we're talking about B2B. People might think this is only important in B2C, emotional connection buying. It's just as important in B2B. So what if what if you could make it so that your best source of, of referrals was, in fact, from people that had never bought from you? Like you may say, like, I'm not a right fit for you because of X, Y and Z, but you still made an impression and made it clear who yeah. you are best for. And that person knows other people that work for or lead companies or lead, or lead functions that could need you. Um, talk to today on Sales Pipeline Radio with Alan Gonsenhauser. She is the uh, CEO and founder of Demand uh, Revenue and um Alan, you helped us get Fred Reicheld on the uh, CMO Coffee Talk last week, who is the uh, author of The Ultimate Question, creator of the Net Promoter Score. And his latest book, uh, Winning on Purpose, talks about this idea of earned growth. And so we, yeah. were, we were just talking about sort of the prospect experience and how not everyone buys. It's a funnel, not a cylinder, right? Yes. But some of those people that don't buy can be still be champions and advocates and referrals for you. And that very much fits into the calculation of earned growth. Sure. And I think, you know, for those that are not familiar with uh, Fred's work on what he's calling NPS 3, 3.0, in his new book, Winning on Purpose, which, by the way, is a fabulous book, highly recommended. Anybody interested in NPS and how to, how to you know, make it effective for your organization, how not to, you know, um, you know, use it the wrong way, as many people are doing, I would recommend that book. So his concept of earned growth, if you look at gross retention and net retention. Obviously, net retention takes what you have from your existing customers and includes all the growth. And then if you can uh, bifurcate, whenever you get a new logo into your firm, a new customer, if right away when they become a customer, you can ask them whether a referral from another customer or maybe even a non-customer to your point, Matt, if, if a referral was the reason they came to you, was a major reason they came to you and bought from you, if you can bifurcate those that came from a referral versus a sales promotion or some other way, and you add those new customer referrals to your net retention, that's what he's calling earned growth, which is a new metric he's espousing that is a result of the promoters that you have and the influence of your current customers. And that's why when you, when you, you know, use NPS, and I think NPS is a great tool. I've used it with many companies. Um, the really important thing about NPS is not what the number is, but how you use the number to improve the customer experience and convert more to promoters. So, and so that's, as- uh, yeah, he was great when he came on. Coffee talk. He did great. And one of the things he talked about that I'd forgotten about from the original sort of NPS literature was the segmentation of NPS into different layers, right? So oftentimes we think, okay, like, you know, how like you refer me or refer a company, like yeah. there's the relationship NPS score that's related to your brand, but there's yeah. this idea of transactional and episodic uh, NPS as well. Can you talk a little bit about the differences between those two and why they're important to distinguish? The, the episodic NPS basically is, you know, some companies do every deal. They ask, what's your likelihood to recommend us on the deal? I mean, they could have had a good or bad experience on the deal, but that may not be what they would answer overall for the, the company. Right. So you really, it doesn't replace doing a net promoter score or the likelihood to recommend your brand to friends and family 
for your overall company. And, and remember, whenever you ask that question and you need to keep it simple with one question, add a second question, which asks them, why did they give you that rating? Yeah. Because yeah. then you can parse the promoters, why they love you and, and make them into advocates and, and use those messages in marketing. And you can look at the detractors and the passives and find out what the issues are, code them and actually use that information cross-functionally to energize your organization on how you can get better and what things you need to fix. So it's a great tool for that. The verbatims are really important. And I think I see a lot of companies like want to have good net promoter scores. And unfortunately, some of them game the system. If you've ever like rented yeah. a car or, you know, <laughs> bought a car, you know, bought a car. Yeah, like, too exactly. many of them are car related. It's like, I'm going to get fired. I'm going to get in trouble if you don't give me a 10. Like, that's not helpful for anybody. Yeah. Um, so there's exactly. there's getting a higher score, but then there's knowing what to do about it. Right. And so the verbatims yeah. you get of like what one thing could have earned us a higher score. Right. I mean, yeah. getting them to focus on that. And the same thing with earned growth. What's the number one reason you bought for us today? What was the number one thing that influenced you to buy from us today? Yeah. Um, you know, you're not looking for everything, but to be able to stack rank thing and take action, take action on it. Um, really important. Alan, you've, you've, um, you've sort of, you span the spectrum here. You've been, you've been in house as an operational CMO. You've been sort of in the quote of in, in, industry, you know, analyst ivory tower for a while, um, sort of looking across a bunch of different companies yeah. and your, your, your role today at demand revenue, like you, you're back in the trenches with CMOs sort of helping them be successful. What are some pitfalls I think that, that companies should look for that CMO should look for that. I mean, like I appreciate groups like the coffee talk that you're a regular part of, but you know, CMO can be a lonely job. Yeah. And you're staring at the same four walls and you have a perspective and a role that is different from your leadership team members. What's some advice that you give to some of your clients um, when you're advising CMOs on how to keep, keep a pulse on what's innovative and to continue to sort of learn and innovate in that sort of lonely room? Well, I think it's important. I think uh, there's huge benefit of alignment. A lot of companies have issues with alignment. So what I usually recommend is the first person you want to make sure you align with is the CFO. Not just to get more budget, but the CFO has visibility to the board and, you know, and uh, resources across the organization. And you want the CFO to understand what modern marketing can do, not only the demand function, but, but again, customer experience, the impact on retention, lifetime value, valuation, multiples over time. That's really critical. And, and, uh, and, and, you know, setting a, CO, setting a C-suite dashboard with the CFO and the CSO is really important. So I'm a big believer in cross-functional alignment. Um, I'm also, in terms of uh, um, innovation, mm -hmm. I mean, you know, it's not just what you know. No one knows everything. So it's really important who your network is and you can tap into new ideas and be transparent and honest about what you don't know and try to, you know, get the information from your network. I think that's very powerful. And it's just as important as, as, you know, the, the experience you've had and keep things simple. You know, you can't boil the ocean. Don't try to try to do too much, you know, pick the three things you want to get done really well this year and, and decide and align cross-functionally on the things you're not going to get done. You may get yeah. them done, but maybe not this year. So when, when I talk to groups about marketing planning, one of the most popular templates I refer to is something called marketing will and will not. 
Mm -hmm. And I see the eyes light up and people start laughing when I mention that because oftentimes, you know, people throw everything to market. Marketing can do this, marketing can do that. You know, it's important to lead and stop random acts of marketing. Mm -hmm. And the way to do that is with integrated long-term campaigns and and structure the task that marketing does. That's going to make you more customer-centric and more operationally efficient. So those are some of the things when I coach. So I do two things. I, I, I coach CMOs. I actually, I, I made a presentation yesterday at a conference. And as part of that, I, I counted up how many CMOs I mentored when I was at Serious Decisions and Forster. I couldn't believe it. It was 108. I believe it. I believe I'm it. doing that, but I'm also an interim or fractional CMO. So I'm doing some of that too and some speaking. That's fun. Well, I, I love um, what I'm doing. It's fun. It's it's um, and I'm, and I'm glad. I think in, I've seen the impact on companies you've worked with. We had a last question for you here before we wrap up. You talked about the importance of alignment. You know, as a CMO, as a marketing leader, sort of aligning with other with your your go to market counterparts. Um, alignment is one thing. Actually, changing that culture is another. Right. So alignment can happen in a playbook. Alignment can happen in a scorecard. But yeah. like, how do you sort of pass the Tuesday test of like helping your teams operationally align what they're doing? And also sort of address some of the cultural elements that exist. I mean, let's face it, some com- in some companies, marketing is seen in the art- arts and crafts department. Sales is seen as lone <laughs> guns that don't follow what anybody does. So how do you recommend CMOs sort of address and really lead that cultural alignment in their organizations? Well, what I would say, I don't want to get too promotional, but if you go to my website, demandrevenue.com, I have three blogs that I wrote. One blog is how you transform marketing in a product or engineering-led organization. The second one is how do you transform marketing in a sales-led organization? And the third one is how do you transform marketing in a finance or operations-led organization? There aren't too many marketing-led organizations yet in B2B. There are in B2C. But I would say as we get closer to customer experience, and if the CMO is responsible for customer experience, there's going to be more marketing-led. But um, you really need to understand the culture and what pre, you know, preconditions people have about what marketing is. And there's going to, there needs to be some education and relationship building, you know, cross-functionally. So people understand what modern marketing really is. And, and you often have to re-educate people that, you know, saw marketing as arts and crafts and other areas. Um, yeah. So yeah. That would awesome. be one piece of advice. <laughs> well, Alan, thank you very much for your time. I know we're, we're running up against it here. Uh, if you want to learn more, seriously, Alan's got some great content on his blog, demandrevenue.com. Definitely check it out um, and check it out. He's on LinkedIn as well. I'm sure you'd be welcome to, to connect with you. Alan Gonsenhauser, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you, Matt. Always a pleasure. Thanks All right. For thank you, everyone, for watching and listening. We'll be back again next week, 1130 Pacific, 230 Eastern. My name is Matt Hines. We'll see you next week on Sales Pipeline Radio. See you, Matt. Take care.